From the boardroom to the locker room, sport captures the imagination like little else. In this podcast, we talk to the men and women who make the big decisions and those who make the big plays to find out where sport is and, importantly, where it's going. But we do so through the only eyes that matter, those of the fan. You're about to listen to our new show, The Groundsman Conversations, which is brought to you by Sports Digiter. Sports Digiter is a cloud-based presentation platform for rights holders, agencies, and brands that brings your story to life within immersive, exciting, easy-to-create proposals and presentations. Used by more than 50% of teams in the top leagues in the US, Sports Digiter's technology enables partners to ditch PowerPoint and Keynote and create powerful presentations of their own that provide tracking analytics to help you understand the performance of your prospecting, cutting through the crowded marketplace to win business. So go to sportsdigital.com to book your demo. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of The Groundsman. Joining me for the first time in a while now, both of my fellow groundsmen, uh, the great Giles Morgan and the slightly less great, if we're honest, let's, we're all friends here, Roger Mitchell. Gentlemen, how are you? Isn't it wonderful to be together, the three of us, even though I think we just caught Giles before he's got an evening of a rather special nature from... Exactly right. This, <laughs> is, this, is, this is a real change in outfit from the, from the boiler suit to... Well, Giles, why don't you describe what you're wearing, just for our audiences that are panting in anticipation to hear you talk about what you're wearing. Well, I've shocked you all by uh, turning up in, a, in a, a black tie and a tuxedo to... Uh, not for the show, not even for our guests, but more... Um, I'm going to the Royal Albert Hall, not, as some people think, maybe either playing snooker or even worse, being a snooker umpire for Mr. Barry Hearn. But none of those. I'm just going to watch <laughs> some posh music and drink red wine if they offer it. So that's oh, me. oh, you are actually, I, I thought you were just going to be taking tickets to the door and showing people their seats. <laughs> I didn't realise you were actually. <laughs> are you saying I'm too posh to be a bouncer? <laughs> no, not at all. I think at the Albert Hall, you're just the right level of posh to be a bouncer. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, gents, we have we have uh, a guest joining us that uh, I know we're all extremely excited to have a chance to talk to um, shortly. Giles, well, I will let you introduce our guest in a moment. But before that, there's one or two things, chaps, for us to talk about. And I have to throw this in the mix first to get my chance to do this and make sure we get a chance to talk about it. Because I've just seen it um, come up on my phone. And that is Argentina getting beat 2-1 by Saudi Arabia in the World Cup today. Now, Roger, I'm going to come to you with this. Um, is the fix in or was that a genuine result? I didn't see it and I'm absolutely No, staggered. no, no. Um, uh, credit where credit's due. Saudi Arabia, different to Qatar, who looked very, very um, off the pace. Saudi Arabia came with a, um, a determination that um, I, I, I really liked. I really liked. I thought they they, they went behind, they, they kept going, they they, they, they played well. They, they deserved to win. Uh, the game, which seems to be the way it's going these days, had a total of about 20 minutes um, injury time between the two halves. So they held on for 110 minutes. Um, and hats off to them. I, I was really impressed. Wow. I, I say I saw I saw the scoreline and sometimes you get these freak results where Argentina were all over and peppering the goal and just couldn't score the equaliser. But it was it was a legit victory, yeah? Yeah, yeah. And of course, let's not read too much into it. You know, I, I, I love to extrapolate, oh, you know, we said the last show, this was the Messi Legacy World Cup and um, here we go, he's not Diego and all our generation jumps up and down and says, no, he's not. 
Um, but I think it's too early to, to say that. He didn't have a good game. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think um, in 1990, if I'm not wrong, Argentina lost their first game as well, maybe to Cameroon. And they went to uh, the final. So first games are yeah, first games. Everybody's three, up for right. it. Yeah, yeah. I've got a, th- but, I've got know, a theory. I've got a theory, guys. And as you know, both know, I'm not really a football guy, so I listen and learn a lot from you both. But my theory is this: is a bit like during COVID when we had um, no crowds in in stadia. Such is the weirdness of this World Cup that the pre-media sort of um, hype, if that's the wrong, that's not quite the right word, but all of the stuff that's going down. I just think this World Cup is going to throw out some extraordinary results, and I'm, I put a few quid on England, not as a not as someone who's from the United Kingdom. I just think they're going to go and win it, and maybe not the best teams will get anywhere near. It just feels very, very weird watching it in those these sellout stadiums of half full stadiums. It's quite extraordinary. Well, let's 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 broaden the discussion out because obviously this this World Cup already has been. Um, rife with controversy, as we kind of knew it would be. I mean, in the lead-up yes. to the, 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 the very fact they got the World Cup was controversial. The switch to November was controversial. The switch the, to banning alcohol two days before the game was, uh, was, was controversial. I mean, there's just been steeped in controversy. And, of course, um, Rog, Infantino's press conference, which will be the stuff of legends. I don't know how he feels today, but I know he felt disabled and gay the other day. Who knows how he feels after Saudi Arabia have beaten Argentina. But what, what did you make of that Infantino press conference? I was just astounded. Um, all I can say is a little bit the theme of what we've been talking about um, for a long time. Also, not to do with sport, just business and politics in general. There are people that have lost um, a self-awareness that seems to allow them to say the most incredible things that make them look incredibly stupid and they don't realise it. Um, The press conference itself was really bad, but, you know, I knew January as a young man and that didn't really surprise me. He's very good politically and just placed his audience and knows that very, very well. And his audience were uh, the, the, the people in the country where he resides now, which is Qatar. And um, everybody else uh, in in the in the World Cup um, jamboree. Um, what really bothered me, Grant, and you know this is my theme. Um, I am uh, what was it? I am an immigrant. I am gay. And then yeah. they decide to tell um, England. I think other teams as well to remove yeah, the rainbow armband. I, 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 first of all, how, how can you think that that is any way coherent? I'd really like to ask, you know, the sponsors that sponsor FIFA, do they never think we're sponsoring an organisation that really nobody has got any respect for? I'll, I'll park that for a minute. So, so that's bad enough, that non-sequitur in values, you know, my favourite, half-pregnant morality. But then the ball gets passed to the English FA. And the English FA yeah. have got what I call one of those moments where you make your name. In one way or another, you make your name. Uh, you can decide to make a stand, uh, a painful stand. Um, they, they were shown a painful stand by the, the Iranians not singing the national anthem. These people may go yeah, back and get executed. Um but they've also had a the sport's been full of this kind of stuff from Muhammad Ali in Vietnam onwards. And, and, you know, there was the article today in The Guardian by Jonathan Liu, who, who writes well. Um, and, you know, he's basically saying 
Uh, Ali gave up, you know, the three top years, peak years of his career. Others have done similar things. Uh, you wouldn't stand behind your principles because of a yellow card. So, I, 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 listen, I'm not going to get angry about this, but I would just like to ask the FA, where do they think they go from this in terms of their moral high ground preaching that they've been very, very happy to take on over uh, recent years, not just them, but especially them. Where do they go when cometh the hour, cometh the man, and they caved like like a sandcastle? I can't understand that, Grant. I've gone beyond being angry because I've been saying this for years about governing bodies and I've seen them inside and they're all as soft as... I'll not say it, but um, when you see it up in action in a moment like this, all you can do is put your hands in your hair and say, what's happened to the world? Because there's nobody of values leading anything important as far as I can see. Well, the shame, Rog, to me was from what we read, it wasn't the FA exclusively. There were six or seven football associations that were going to do this, right? And, I mean, there's safety in numbers here. If six or seven of you go in there and say, well, screw it, we're all going to do it. I mean, they've all caved. Um, the FA, I don't know who the other seven were, in fairness. I believe the Welsh FA Belgium. was one of them. Uh, Belgian. Um, I, I don't know who the others were. But whichever way it cuts it, the FA, as the oldest football association in the world, have to lead this. They have to yes, stand up for what's right and the others let the others fall in line behind them. And but I'm with you 100% Even if they don't follow Grant... Even if they don't follow Grant, what, how glory, how glorious is it to be uh, the one, the only one that says, "I'm sorry, our captain wants to wear this. We agree with him. Yeah. Uh, you, you, you book him. We're walking off. Um, we are, we are getting on the plane home. Goodbye. Remember Basil Dolivera. You know, England used to do stuff like this. You know, and 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 you know, can you imagine the glory if they took that stand? You know, it would have been magnificent. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I think they've they've missed a golden opportunity. And unfortunately, anything they do now is going to be put down to some kind of media backlash. You know, if they if they if they backtrack on this rog and they and they say we're going to wear it next game, you've lost the chance, as you say, you've lost the chance to um to make a stand. Jilo, uh, um, Wales's first game uh, against the Americans, they squeak to draw. Uh, how does that sit with the men from the valleys for the first appearance since 1958? Well, I think Roger pointed it out to me um, on, on WhatsApp, just hear the Welsh singing in Beautiful. Not, the fullest, Beautiful. not the fullest stadium. And we know we're very used to the Welsh singing at the Principality Stadium, watching, watching their other football, rugby football. Um, glorious to, to hear the Welsh national anthem. I, I don't suppose Mein Henvlad Venedi has been sung that often in uh, in Qatar, so it was very. Well, I, th- I think to... he scored a couple of goals for Croatia, didn't he, in the last World Cup? My him for dead eye. I think. Well, Roger, wasn't he? Didn't he play in the holding spot for left Croatia? Back. Left back. Left, left back. back. Oh, okay, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, and good. I mean, you know, just to get away with with one all and and start the campaign. I think they're a good side, Wales. So um, they got a they got a shot, and they got two Fulham players know, in, the, in the starting eleven. So they've got to be a decent ex- team. Exactly. And you, one thing you'll know, even in Qatar or wherever else they are, that you can trust the Welsh fans. They can sniff out a pint anywhere. So they'll do <laughs> that's, that's a very that's a very good. Actually, Rog, did you see? I think you did. I think uh, our, our mate Rayleigh Richardson sent us uh, shared a yes. tweet with us, which was absolutely phenomenal. Which we'll have to share the from the United Team Twitter. A couple of scouts have been interviewed saying how they they gone out looking for the bevy. 
and they and they they'd gotten in the car with Abdul, and he'd taken us off to his house, and they ended up describing how he'd shown them his lions, lions. <laughs> his lions, and all that kind of thing. It was great. And, and of course, you think that it's some kind of wind up, or there are a couple of stooges, and it cuts to the video of these guys. And then they are. <laughs> and he's giving it, he's stroking a lion, going, Come on, mate, I like that. And he's letting the lion bite his out. It was absolutely magnificent. <laughs> oh, man. Great stuff. Absolutely great stuff. Superb. Well, listen, listen um, JLO, let's bring our yeah, guest in because exactly, uh, we're rocking and rolling. Well, very appositely for the groundsman, which this show is, um, our guest knows something a little too about fairways and, and pristine turf um, because he's walked enough of them. Um, Lee Westwood is one of England's most successful and certainly most enduring golfers. He is a former world number one. He has 44 professional wins on the PGA Tour, the European Tour, the Asian Tour, the Japan Tour, the Sunshine Tour, the PGA Tour of Australia. He has won everywhere um, across four decades, which is which is impressive. He has um, he's managed to come second twice at the Open Championship. Um, he's uh, come. Well, no, at the Masters, I should say. And he's come second once at the Open and third at the US Open and PGA of America. I, he has come close to all of the majors, but he's never won. And he is, along with Colin Montgomery, one of the greatest players never to have won a, a major. Yes. He has represented Europe 10 times um, in the Ryder Cup, which is an astonishing achievement when you think about form. Um, and won the race to Dubai in 2000, 2009, and 2010. An accomplished golfer, you would say. But this year, he made an enormous decision, um, along with his great mate Ian Poulter, the Ryder Cup captain Henrik Sensen, Sergio Garcia, and a heap load of, uh, of other players and, and a lot of Americans, obviously, to switch to, to live golf, which we're going to have to talk about. It, it's a fascinating um, question as why he decided to do it. And, and Lee is, as you will discover, a forthright and very honest man. Um, he was a very keen and talented sportsman um, at school. And as those who follow him will know, he is a massive Notting uh, Nottingham Forest fan. Um, but he's also to be seen at Cheltenham, Hexham Racecourse, anywhere where the GGs go, Lee goes. Um, and since he got married um, to Helen, he's become something of a gym bunny as well. If you follow his Instagram, all you can see is him gurning away, looking at his triceps and biceps and God knows what. He's a great old mate, um, and I'm really, really chuffed that he joins the three of us on our lunch break today. Lee Westwood, welcome to The Groundsman. Great to have you on the show. Oh, I'm underdressed. You are. Did I not, did I not <laughs> no. send you the dress code? If you look around, you'll see he's way overdressed. We're okay, yeah. Lee, we're okay. Yeah, look at the state of him, eh? <laughs> I've got to go and do my bouncer. I've got to do my bouncer yeah. gig after this, Westy. Times are tough these days, mate. Um, let me introduce you to uh, Roger Mitchell. Hello, sir. And to Grant Williams. Hey, Lee. How are you, mate? Hey, you all right, lads? So um, we've teed you up. I've been quite nice about you. It is nearly Christmas, I suppose. It is, so I'm feeling very benevolent. Oh, enjoying so in, a, for, in a good mood for now. For now, yeah. Well, it's good to have... I'm dying to know. I know you were at the Hexham Racecourse the other day at the races. How do you get on? Did you have a horse running or do you just putting a few light bets down? Actually, I had two running. Um, one finished third and the other, which was quite pleasing. First time over big obstacles. Could be uh, heading for the Scottish National at Air. Um, and the other one was just having a run out, really. Um, 
we're not quite sure what to make of that one yet. We know it's got a lot of talent and ability, but over what distance and what obstacles, we're not sure. You you love the horses. I remember you telling me, um, gosh, three or four years ago, over a pint, that you set your your schedule up when you were looking at the schedule ahead for for the golf year um, around Cheltenham. Was that was that genuinely true that you needed to go to Cheltenham races first, and then you could put your golf tournaments in around it? That was true for a few years there. Yeah, I uh, avoided the Players Championship because it was on the same week <laughs> as Cheltenham. And I like to turn up on Monday afternoon at Cheltenham, go and have a, a Thai meal, have a few drinks and get the paper out ready for Tuesday morning and uh, getting in the Guinness village at about 11, 11.30 and mentally and physically preparing for the that big cheer as the first race goes off. Yeah. And, and now, of course, you don't worry about the Players' Championship. That's no longer on your radar. So that's all good news for the future. No, but it's unbelievably distressing that I think there might be a live event on the week of Cheltenham this year. Oh, no. (laughs) We're only only playing 14 and they've managed to put one on Cheltenham week and one on Ascot week. Can you believe it? Oh, Westy, do you not regret the decision now? (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to have to have a word with somebody. Yeah, have a word with somebody. Oh, well, you, you'll, find, you'll find someone to talk to. Speak to Greg. Is he a horse racing? T- tell us about Greg. Does he like horse racing, other sports? I know he liked tennis for a while for different reasons. Well, but clearly, he... <laughs> clearly he doesn't like horse racing enough. No, he hasn't. <laughs> well, you'll have to educate him. So, Lee, just before we sort of climb into, we want to talk about World Cup, we want to talk about the rugby league that's just been, I know you're very keen on, and a whole lot of stuff. You're a, a big a Nottingham Forest fan, and you're very vocal on social media about that. Where did your own your own love of sport come from, both as a fan and and obviously as a, an emerging golfer, but also a young sportsman? Was it was it your parents? Where where did the inspiration come from? I think it was probably my dad um, and my granddad from a, a young age. You know, I remember watching. Uh, well, I was always sporty, and they encouraged me to be. And uh, you know, I was a good runner when I was younger, and played a lot of football and uh, rugby. A uh, decent swimmer, decent all rounder. So uh, that's where the love of sport came from. Always enjoyed watching it on TV. You know, watched FA Cup finals and things like that because that's all that was really on, wasn't it? When uh, when we were kids on TV, um, watching racing the Grand National, the King George on Boxing Day. You know, having uh, Tempe on a horse in the family suite on Boxing Day, something like that, and uh, just always been uh, sporty and I've. I, I really enjoy watching sport played to a high level, uh, whether it be live or on TV. I, you know, I just, uh, that's all, you know, ask Helen, my wife, that's, uh, I'm not a box set kind of person. Um, when, when you were, when you were <laughs> playing a lot of golf in, in America, um, did you uh, pivot very easily naturally? Like I know Grant has, you spend a lot of time in the States over to American sports as well. Did you find it didn't really matter whether it was NFL, whether it was NBA, whatever, same stuff, just get into it? Yeah, I'm a 49ers fan, so I watched a lot more NFL uh, when I was over there. You know, I've been a 49ers fan since, uh, you know, watch it on Channel 4 in the in the 80s. Um, you know, Montana, Jerry Rice, people like that. Um, they seem to be on a lot, so I became, you know, a fan of them and they're doing well at the moment. They won in Mexico uh, a couple of nights ago. Um, I got into the basketball a little bit because the guy that trains me uh, in the gym, Steve McGregor, he was working with the New York Knicks. So I like to see how the New York Knicks do. 
Struggled to get into baseball, I have to admit. I've been to a couple of games. I've uh, been to the Yankees Stadium. And while, you know, I thoroughly enjoyed it and uh, and I can appreciate how good they are, you know, some of the rules are so uh, kind of obscure and minute. And there's a lot more. It's a bit like watching cricket and there's a lot more going on than, than there appears and didn't really have the time to get into it. And uh, managed to go and watch a, a hockey game in Vegas when I got married Um last June a week like a year last June uh we were there and uh managed to go and watch the Golden Knights in a playoff game and that was phenomenal that's as as big a difference between watching something on TV and watching something live as I've as I've ever seen it, it is so much better live yeah I completely agree I, I I couldn't watch it on TV but I went to a few Rangers games when I live in New York and every single one of them mm. was just epic it was just incredible there's always something going on I never appreciated that the players were only on the on the uh, rink for forty five seconds or something like that. How much uh, changing around there was, the speed of it, the physicality of it. Uh, it was just, I was amazed that you know, I, if ever I was invited to another game, I would jump at the chance. Although it was, although it was phenomenal. That Forest team, the great Forest team with the late seventies league. Did you? How much of them were you? around and, and consciously watching them? Or was that your introduction to Forrest or was that kind of a legend that your dad told you about? Well, my dad was a Liverpool fan, so uh, oh. it was other people that, yeah, yeah. Um, it was either Forrest or Liverpool in those days, wasn't it? And Workstop, where I came from, it was kind of in a a bit of a footballing wilderness, if you want to call it, kind of right in the middle of Sheffield and Sheffield Wednesday yeah. and United and Leeds and Nottingham Forest further south. So, you know, my dad... He liked watching Liverpool because they were a great team at that stage, weren't they? And uh, I, I like watching. I like Nottingham Forest um, because they were European champions when I was six, seven years of age, and all my mates either supported Leeds United or Sheffield United or Sheffield Wednesday. Um, so the first live Forest game I ever went to wasn't until 1994, uh, actually Main Road, three-three uh, draw with City. Um, that was the first time I ever saw them live, and before that, it was all on TV because my dad didn't want to go down the city ground, obviously. So, uh, yeah, um, I've met a lot of the players. Uh, I've done radio commentary with Larry Lloyd and, uh, right. um, you know, met, met Peter Shilton and Trevor Francis and uh, Viv Anderson and people like that and t- uh, Tony Woodcock. Um, so um, I've met a lot of those legends of the Forest team and listened to them telling stories. Um, but... You know, I know a few more of the recent ones. I went to watch them quite a bit in the in the late nineties and got friendly with Dean Saunders and Steve Stone. Um, you know, people like that. Uh, played golf with them, um, and yeah, just been a, a fan all those years and been patiently waiting. It's funny. I'm a <clears throat> I'm a deeply avowed Fulham fan, and I get a lot of stick for it. But you know, there's something about being a supporter of these clubs that have been around forever, and they're not the glamour clubs that. The success they have is that much more special because you don't oh, get hang on a bit. Let to me let, let me stop you there. Two-time <laughs> European right. champions. Come on, no, 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 I know, I know, I know. That's right. Listen, listen. Speak for yourself. He's such a yeah. I mean, bloody, a Diddy team against Nottingham Forest. And we got Forest. into the final of the Europa. We got into the final of the Europa League. Now, that guy's got to count for something. All right. But but you, you know, know what I mean? Club, it's it's, it's down the road from Chelsea. It thumps yeah. you a lot. That's who we are. That's who we are. Let's not get into all that. Let's not get into all that. But but you know, it's 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 funny. Um, and I think for a, for a team like Forest, obviously, that did have that spectacular success when I was at my football watching peak. And I was a kid that that just thought Forest were amazing to watch. And and as a as an Englishman to watch and win those back to back European Cups was just sensational. 
But as you, you know, when you when you go through a period like Forest have been through, to be back in the Premier League again, to be back where frankly Forest belong, what's that like as a supporter seeing back there? And and how do you assess the year they've had so far? Apart from that week when Fulham something. <laughs> Yeah, when we should have beat you as well. Um, well, I, I was at I was at uh, the city ground in '99 when they went up. Um, remember, as beating Reading, I think it was two nil. Um, and then I was there again at the playoff final at Wembley um, earlier this year. And at Wembley, I can honestly say it's as nervous as I've ever been watching a sporting event. Um, I don't know how many calories I must have burnt in that 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 match getting up and down and stress and biting nails and stuff like that. It, it's like jeopardy watching the uh, playoff final because you know there's so much on it. And for teams like Forest that are going up, you know you're going up and you're occasionally going to lose five and six nil. It's weird. You know, you know you're not going to go up and, you know, explode onto the scene. You know you're going to, but you just want to be back on that big stage, don't you, and playing all those big teams. I, you know, I, I when Fulham uh, beat Brentford in the playoff final two years prior, I think um, same thing. I, and I my wrist, I walked five thousand steps around my living room table watching that playoff final, and I had no yeah. idea until the end of it. It was it was unbelievable. Yeah. I've never known anything like it. Actually, the last time I went to watch Nottingham Forest was against Fulham at the City Ground, and you beat us four nil. And uh, they they'd gone on a decent run, um, and Cooper had taken over. And then they got, I mean, you just hammered us. You were so much better on that day. Um, and I, I didn't see them going on to getting promoted, I must admit. I, he's done an incredible job. Not Scott oh, Parker. Last year? Steve, Steve no. Cooper. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. <laughs> but last year, that run they went on, because you came and you, you, you beat us at, at the end of the season, the last game or last yeah. game of the season. That run Forrest went on last year was unbelievable. I mean, it must have been phenomenal to be a fan and watch that. It was amazing. And... Uh, you know, that just shows you what a, a good man manager he is and what a great job he's done. Um, you, you had all these players that, unfortunately, had to leave because they were either on loan or, you know, running to the end of their contracts. When you think about, the, you know, Jed Spence and um, Garner, who went back to Man United and then weirdly got signed by Everton instead of us. Um, Brees Samba that wanted to leave and go back to France. Um you know, and then we've made all these signings. There's been incredible changes going on there. And, uh, you know, to actually oversee all that and pull everything together, because I do feel like they've t- turned a corner a little bit now. Uh, they've had a couple of good results. And it was always going to take a little while to gel all those new players together. Um, I, I just think Steve and his staff must be, uh, must be brilliant at, at managing uh, all those different personalities and, you know, that have come into the the. the locker room or whatever you want to call it, dressing room, and uh, all, at, all at the same time. It's a real juggling act. Lee, uh, let me ask you, you, you currently now live in Newcastle, I think, um, and uh, you know m- better than most the influence that um, Middle Eastern money has had on all kinds of sport, and I'm not going to single out anyone, but I'm going to ask you, what is the new vibe up there in Newcastle since they've taken over the club and had such a really good start to the season? The buzz around the city is amazing. Um, but, you know, when a football team's winning, you know, the, with it being a, a, a one-club city, you know, the, it, it feels like the, the whole city revolves around how the football team are getting on. Um, and once again, um, what an incredible job they've done there. You know, obviously you need... It seems like the Premier League, you do. It is all about cash nowadays. You know, you, 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 
if you want if you want success, you've got to buy the best players, and the best players cost you the most money. So, you know, you look at City and Liverpool and Manchester United and Chelsea, people like that. They're the people with the most money and willing to spend the most money. And uh, you know, Newcastle look like they've they're starting to join that club. But um, I, th- I think uh, what he's done with the players that he has signed a few. That there's no doubt about that. Trippier has made a massive difference. Um, but the way he's turned around, uh, Joe Linton, um, Gomez has made a massive difference. Um, but Almiron, uh, Joe Linton, um, Dan, Dan Byrne that he signed, uh, everybody wondered why, you know, he was signing him from Brighton and he's come into the middle of defence and shored that up. You know, I think they're the best defence in the Premier League at the moment. So, uh, um, you know, he, he has worked well with new new players, but he's also transformed a lot of the old uh, uh, well, I don't want to say old players, but players great, that were yeah. already there. Yeah, he's been incredible. Yeah. And do you do you think that? Um, I think I know the answer to this because we've already said it. Results mean everything. But do you think there is a a, a feeling amongst fans that um, there is there's in the London media? It's very clear now that there's a whole kind of like moral crusade against. Um, petrodollar money, wherever it comes from, Saudi or or, or or the Emirates or Qatar. Do you think the fans in Newcastle really care where, where the money comes from and what it's going to do for the, the, the region? I think one or two might, but I don't think the majority do. I think the majority want to see their, their club successful, um, you know, and, and winning trophies. Yeah, I just want to pivot over to the World Cup, and I'm because there's a sort of comparison here. There's a lot of conjecture in the in the media, as, as Rod said, a lot of it London based, um, a lot of virtue signalling from everybody, and um, David Beckham, Gary Neville are, are in the firing line, and that must feel a bit of respite for for you live golfers that it's the footballers now who are taking all the flack for. Uh, Petro petrodollars rather than the, the golfers. What advice would you give to David if you were to have a cup of coffee with him in the next week? What advice would I give to him? Um, keep your answers short. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Yeah, but I, I'm 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 intrigued because genuinely a genuine question about the football. It's now started. We've just had a shock result, obviously today with Argentina going down to Saudi, and and Rog was watching the game. It it sounds like it was a very credible a credible win, a proper win, and a proper bit of giant slaying. Do you think now that the sport will start to do the talking and that the media will, of course, this will rumble on, and I don't think this is done, and probably a lot of the finger wagging should and be at, at FIFA's door rather than maybe individuals. But do you think now the sport takes on and uh, the, the World Cup, um, or do you think this one is different and it's going to be off balance for the whole tournament? Well, people are, will, will always have their opinions on it. And I thought it was a strange place to take the World Cup initially. Um, I think FIFA have one eye on using the World Cup to promote the game of football in places that, you know, you wouldn't ordinarily go and play. Um, you know, they've even changed the date of this World Cup from, you know, what we would regard as the summer to to the winter to accommodate the weather there. Um, and like I say, people will always have their opinion, but after a while, you know, when, when we get towards the final stages of it, you would hope that the, the sport would take over and it would just be all about who the best football team are and finding that football team. 
you know, watching on TV, I've got it on now in the corner. The, the pictures and the facilities look incredible, but it's gone to a place that has never hosted a, a tournament before. And, uh, you know, they have, they have rules in their country, you know, like alcohol and things like that. And if you're a foreigner, you've got to adhere to them. Um, you know, we've been to play golf in Qatar a lot and, you know, we, we don't drink. Um, you know, it's available in some places, but, you know, that, that's that's their rules and um, you, you just got to accept it. Rules like alcohol. Segwaying that a little bit into live, uh, the listeners of this podcast uh, will know that I've been quite a supporter of live. I'd like to ask you from, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd like to ask a couple of things. It doesn't mean I'm going to make it an easy question, but I want you to know that um, the first point that I think has been missed a lot is that the PGA, as many governing bodies needed, in my opinion, shaken up. They seem to have done more in four months than have done in 40 years since you guys came along. Um, I, I believe that that is a theme that is needed in a lot of sport. There's a lot of very, very lazy and comfortable and, and, and frankly, quite uh, inefficient governing bodies at the centre. So for that, uh, Liv gets a big tick. The other thing I didn't understand was the heat you guys got. Now, um, the, you guys aren't the first to have done this kind of stuff. If we continue on the football theme, you know, back in the 70s, uh, Pele, Beckenbar, Cruyff, uh, everybody went to play for the Cosmos, which was basically Harlem Globetrotter football. Um, we, had, so we had Kerry Packer uh, and the cricketers. Uh, we've had footballers go to China now for obviously, um, you know, reasons other than pursuing, you know, the very highest level. I can't understand why you guys get such a hard time did, tell me a little bit, what was the kind of like conversations you were having with your fellow pros, your mates? Did, did, did anybody see it the way I'm putting it forward to you now? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, at times we sort of sat around and, and questioned, you know, why, why, were the, why are the golfers being held to, uh, you know, such a high moral standard? Um, you know, from, I, I was asked the question, would I go and play in... Uh, Russia, if Putin had a uh, a tournament there, you know those kind of things. Clearly, I wouldn't because there's sanctions in place. But the European Tour went and played an event in Russia in 2015, and Putin was in charge then. So, you know, you when sanctions are in place, uh, if they're not in place, you know, hypothetically, if they weren't, you know, would he have a tournament and would people go go? Then you know, maybe they would. Um, we, we all sat around wondering why we were being held to a higher account than other things you know when you consider where football is being played and you know fights boxing fights and Grand Prix and things like that um, you know it's it, every week it felt like you got the same questions over and over again well I mean Lee I've said this I've said that on this podcast and, and, and I'll, I'll say it again to you Um and I'm sure you'll probably give me a, a political answer. Um, I don't think your live um, masters gave you the kind of PR cover and protection that you should have got because um, I think I could have made a much stronger case as I think even I've done off the cuff here as to why you've done nothing wrong. And I couldn't understand why you were put up there and just fed to the lines. I couldn't understand that. Well, well, they did give us a lot of advice and protection, um, you know. But you've got to understand, 
I don't want to make it sides, but the people from the other side that aren't live feel very threatened and you know they've got a lot of power in the media um and you know like i say their business model um is is being threatened like it's never been threatened before you talked about complacency uh earlier um and un- undoubtedly they've, they've it appears to me that they've all tried you know tried to work together you've got you know the european tour saying they're having special alliances and with the PGA Tour and then, you know, with with Australasia and South Africa and, and um, you know, places like that. Um, so, you know, they have made it, us and them. Um, so, yeah, it's been a difficult period of time, but uh, I think, you know, looking at it now with the eight tournaments over, uh, which were just trial tournaments, it, it lived started off very successfully. And, uh, you know, I, I think what the product we're putting out there where we can guarantee fields and it's a it's a shorter format with 54 holes and we're all out on the golf course together um it's one that um you know the the pga tour the up tour are looking at and and are realizing that they they we've got something and, and it's a threat so you know that's where all this uh uh kickbacks coming from really and and we're obviously taking it taking it around the world um, you know, we've got 14 events. Um, you know, the sponsors know what they're signing up to. Uh, this is the model. Um, you know, get involved if you want to. But we can make certain guarantees that other tours can't. Hey, let, me, let me ask you, I've got, I've got a kind of a two-part question. First part's really an observation and the second part's really a question, but I'd be curious if you wanted to comment on the observation. You know, when I, when I watch this rollout, I class myself as a disappointed traditionalist. You know, I, I love golf. I love the game of golf. I love... A lot of the guys that have gone to live, I'm a fan of of all you guys. What, what, I've followed can I ask your careers. you a question? Yeah, go ahead. What, what what are you disappointed about? Well, I, I, I'll tell you. For me, as you know, to me, the game of golf was all about tradition. For me, growing up, it was all about. Right. You know, I knew who'd won every major. I knew, and I just loved the tradition of the game. And so, when I, and this was the observation I wanted to make. Can I ask I you a question the, again? Go ahead. The, the tradition of the of the tournaments and the major championships. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. You know, I, I just, uh, I just love the tradition of the game. Um, and when I saw the way Liv came on the scene, my first thought was, God, I wish every headline I read wasn't about how much Phil Mickelson's getting paid, how much Dustin Johnson's getting paid, because it seemed to be all the press coverage was about the money. Whereas I just felt if you'd have come out and said, we are going to put together the best golfers in the world and we're going to have them head-to-head against each other every week on great golf courses in different countries... That message to me, if you take the money out of it, and I know I know the press just loves to talk about that, but I just felt as Rog did, if you'd made the messaging about the best players in the world, head to head, week in, week out, on great golf courses, and if the press say, well, how much are you paying them? Fine, that's fine. But I know from watching golf, and I know from, you know, when I saw the Canadian Open play, I had no idea what the winner was getting paid. None. I have no idea what Cam Smith won for winning the Open this year. I don't have a clue. Honestly, I couldn't get within a million dollars of what he got paid for it. And I thrilled in every hole of that final round when him and Rory were going backwards and forwards. So my, you know, my observation was, look, you know, uh, make it about the game. Don't make it about the money. So I'm curious of what you, of what you think about that. But, the, but the, the question I had was, you know, when you, when you guys sat around, obviously you knew this was going to create an awful lot of a, a storm 
Um, and I wondered whether you were prepared for the, just a the level of blowback or you thought, look, people are going to have their problems with it, but it's all going to kind of, it'll all come out in the wash because we have to all figure out a way to make this work somehow. Yeah, we were, pre- we were prepared. We were prepared for, you know, backlash because people don't like change. You know, whenever anything's threatened, people don't like change. But going back to the money thing, up until a few years ago, the PGA Tour and the European Tour judged everybody on money. You know, they had money lists. Giles will back me up on this. Only when uh, purses got inflated in certain tournaments and skewed, whereas where if one person would win, say, two events in Europe that were huge money, you would win the order of merit, you know, the, the money list, they used to call it. And then they changed it to points where if a tournament's worth... $20 million, you win 500 FedEx points, say, in, in, in America. And if the tournament's worth $5 million, you win 500 world ranks. So the $15 million difference makes no makes no odds. You know, a win gets you the same, which I kind of disagree with. But, um, but Lee, what I would yeah, also say, and, and, and where, you know, where conversations you and I have had a lot over the many years I've known you, is that for me, the hypocrisy of the sort of holier than thou on the traditionists saying, oh, there's a, there's a new, there's a new tour in town and they're so vulgar. They're just talking about money. Um, as someone who fed the machine, I fed the meter for quite a long time in my former life by pumping in money to individual golfers and to prize funds on all of the tours, yeah. to hear this kind of sanctimonious bullshit is really disappointing because people have very short memories. And and when you, you know, if you're a sponsor of, of, of the game of golf, it comes with a very big price tag, whether you're Live or whether you're PGA Tour, whether you're European Tour, it's what it is. Why? Because the demographic of golf is one of the most valuable demographics on the planet and middle-class people play it. That is why. So if you can get over that, then you can start to have a conversation. And I think what's been disappointing, and I think you probably share this, is the inability of um, the, the, the two sides of the coin or two sides of the argument to have a conversation because disruption, the, the sense of shaking things up for the good of the game is no bad thing. And this will not be the only sport that's had to go through it. To have this kind of schism running through the middle has been so unsightly. And I I will draw breath in a second. I promise you, you know, a casualty for me that you were very involved with and where we became good mates in the, uh, in the Shandy bar down in, in Shanghai over those many tournaments is the HSBC champions in Shanghai is no longer a world golf championship doesn't exist anymore after 20 years or so of investment because of the plates moving around. It's okay, but everybody needs to sit down and talk. And and I know that, you know, I'm sure the media blow up the sort of factions that you're not talking to X, Y, and Z. And I know you love a Twitter joust anyway with people who I suspect are silly mates. And, and I know you probably, it's always a bit tongue in cheek. But for a game which... To, to Grant's point, which is about tradition, it's all seemed quite unsightly and unseeming, I think. Yeah, I would agree with you. But one thing Liv said right from the very start, though, they w- weren't going to go up against the major championships. And true to their word, they've not gone up against the major championships or the, what was it, premium events or elevated events or something else they called it. So they weren't going to go up against the memorial. But they've certainly not gone up against the major championships. You know, the ones that the likes of Dustin Johnson, Cam Smith, Masters champions, you know, they're 
qualified, you know, not not through the top fifty in the world, but through winning them and and past winners exemptions and things like that. So as a, as a traditionalist, you've got nothing to worry about. Um, you know, you're still going to get the best players in the world pretty much playing against the best players in the world in the major championships. That's always you know. been my point. Yeah. And you, uh, Giles, you know as well as me, you know, I've been run that HSBC for I don't know how many years because you're, you're so old. Um, <laughs> we weren't just playing for the prize fund, were, were we? You were paying out appearance fees, you know, huge appearance fees, left, right and centre to get people there. Yeah, you know, and, and at a World Golf Championship events where we were told there were no appearance fees, there were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, unfortunately, none and, of them and, for and me. Play, and, playing it, and playing it in China, and let's face it, you know, the human rights in China are not Amen. the greatest, Amen. are they? And, and, and nobody complained about that for the 10 years, however, that the, the HSBC was being played. So yeah. there, is, there has been a lot of hypocrisy. hypocrisy. And people say, "Oh, it's what about her and stuff like that." If you, no, we're just we're just, deba- we're just debating and bringing some common sense to it. Well, um, and what I but, hope will happen, and I'm sure this is happening in the wash now, is I think, you know, as you say, these were exhibition kind of. You're, you're figuring it out. You're, it's like um, sort of trying to get a range finding. I guess is the word I'm thinking of in terms of what's going to be best. I'm sure that the, the sort of live 2.0 next year will have some refinements to both what the the product is for for the for the fans etc and that can only be not everything is going to work but I I do think and we all know we talk about top golf a lot on this on this podcast we talk about shortening the game speeding the game up it is a product after all and you got to sell to fans you got to sell to young fans because otherwise just about to say to that let, let's not be around the bush you know we're we're in the entertainment industry Giles yeah. You know, why, 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 why did you, why did you run that tournament in, you know, in China or the one in Abu Dhabi? Because, you know, you want to put your product out there and, and let the golfers entertain the people that are there watching in person and that are watching at home. You know, it's uh, golf, golf's a sport and, it, and it's entertainment. And I, I hear all this about it's an exhibition and stuff like that. All the sports an exhibition, really, you, you know, and it, like I said earlier, I, I love watching uh, any sport played well on TV because I like to see world-class professionals at any sport exhibit their skills, which makes an exhibition, doesn't it? Lee, let me ask you, because everything we've talked about here suggests, and I think what everybody wants is for the two sides to come together, or three sides, however you want to bring it, and find a way to coexist for the sake of golf fans that want to see you and... Poulter and Mickelson and DJ up against the guys who are still on the main tour. We, that's what we want to see as fans. Um, but how how does that work? Because I guess you guys must have talked about this, but if there's 14 live events, four majors, you know, that's 18 events out the way now, you know, that doesn't leave much unless people are going to start playing 26, 28 events for the PGA Tour and the and the and the European Tour. How how do you see that kind of going because I, I look at the numbers and to me i i just can't see how it works for everybody to coexist well we had the world champ golf championships didn't we but the pga tour got rid of them gradually so they didn't want the best players in the world playing against each other it wasn't on high on their priority list was it um right now you could say you're going to get it at the major championships you could have it at the players um you could have it at Bale, but I know people that won't turn up at Bale because they don't like it or where it fits in the schedule. You could have it at the memorial. So really, when it comes to it, you're just going to get the best players in the world turning up 
at the major championships playing against each other. So you've got 48 weeks a year where, where other things, you know, can go on. Um, but like you say, you are right. People need to sit down because it, it doesn't do golf any good in the long term if, you know, there's all these factions. I, I mean, look, it's, it's, I think golf fans, we're all in the, why can't we all just get along phase? Like, let's let's just stop the bickering. But, you know, I... I, I, think, I, I think fans want to see good golf as often as possible. And, you know, I, the, the nice thing about Liv is, is, is that it is so different. It's a change for everybody. I, I, I love golf, but I won't sit on a Thursday and watch some tournament from, no offence, the Rocket Mortgage from Detroit or something like that. You know, it's... You know, it doesn't do it for me. There's too there's too many seventy two old events, and and they're only in existence because, you know, the the PJ Tour have got an abundance of sponsors. You know, they were t- they were turning them away for a while, and uh, you know, and now they're they're having to protect their model, the PJ Tour. The big losers in all of this are going to be the European Tour. You know, you keep, sure. I sit and listen for to. Sure. Keith Pelley do interviews and he can say all he wants about strategic alliances and stuff like that. At the end of the day, the, the PGA Tour are just going to cherry pick the best stuff from the European Tour. You're going to have these co-sanctioned events that are going to count on the European Tour and the PGA Tour and like the beginning of next year, after Abu Dhabi and Dubai, there's not going to be a decent and meaningful tournament you know, to play in until probably July, the Scottish Open. Or just before that, maybe the Irish Open if they make that co-sanctioned, um, and and that's where the P- European Tour are going to lose out because they're going to have these international series events on the Asian Tour. The guys are going to look at that that play on the European Tour and they're going to go to the Asian Q School and they're going to be playing in. Well, there's there's a load of tournaments already jumped ship from the European Tour to the Asian Tour to be international series events in February. You know, I can I I can't kind of name them at the moment, but I know Oman's one. Um, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if Qatar was another one. Um, you know, these are tournaments that have been on the European tour and, you know, they don't they don't like the way they've been treated and they don't like the fields that have turned up because, you know, all your best European players have gone and played on the PGA tour. Uh, and the new world ranking system doesn't help that. You know, if you want to be up at the top of the world rankings, you've got to play in uh, in America now. Just look at what happened last last week with the Dubai World Championship. And the R and the RSM, you've got, in my mind, a significantly stronger field in Dubai than in uh, Sea Island. Houston, and they're and they're they're getting the winners getting sixteen points less for winning in Dubai than they is in uh, in the RSM. Now that just drives people away. You know, the the players see that, and they they're going to go and play where the most world ranking points are. It's interesting because I think as as fans we don't get that we don't know this stuff right about the ranking points we don't understand the, the 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 details of it and I think one thing that's been great is to have a light shined upon how that whole thing works but when when you look at this and you look at um you know the way you you, you talk about the European tour is going to struggle the most obviously yourself Poltz, a lot of you guys Stenson you guys have come up through that European tour um you know, and it, and it could be you guys that kind of stick a fork in this thing, and and maybe it's time, maybe it needs to completely change. But when you look at that, do you think to yourself, you know, there's any sentimentality about this tour that kind of helped you get to where you guys are in the world? And can we? Is there something we can do to make sure this thing isn't obsolete? 
Yeah, no, because I care about the European tour. I love the European tour. It's always been my home tour. Right. I've never, I've never kind of, well, I've always been a member of the European tour and, and you know, not solely joined. You know, when I when I won in uh, America in 98 in New Orleans, I didn't join the tour. When I won in 2010, um, I didn't join the PGA tour. I stayed in Europe when I was world number one. I, I, I wasn't, I didn't join yeah. for another couple of years, uh, the PGA tour. Um no, I was just I was just talking about the sentimental side of it when you look at the way it's going to struggle yeah, and, now. And, well, it's going to get worse because he's, Keith's promised his best 10 players exemptions onto the PGA Tour. So every year the European Tour is going to lose its best 10 best players. And not just the European Tour, but the European Tour sponsors. The sponsors are going to look at it and say, right, which players am I going to get for my events now? Or will I get so-and-so? No. Nope he's off the PGA Tour because there's all them world ranking points and they're playing for more money week in, week out. You know, look look at... Since I spoke to a couple of people at the PGA Championship at Wentworth. I spoke to Thomas Detry and I spoke to a lad called Matty Schmidt who both got their cards through the Corn Ferry Tour and, I, and they were playing Wentworth and I said to them, oh, when are you going to play in Europe again this year? And, they, and I think Thomas Detry has played a couple. He's probably changed his mind. But Matty Schmidt who was rookie of the year, he said, oh, no, I'm not going to come back to Europe, you know, because you can't afford to not play on the PGA Tour. Because if you don't play on the PGA Tour, every week you're losing position. It's, it's impossible to keep your card if you don't play on the PGA Tour all the time because of the way the, the FedEx Cup rankings are, are kind of scripted. Um, I tried to keep two cards for a while and, you know, it became impossible. And that's one thing that all these changes have made. It made it almost impossible for people to keep to to cut dual membership. So, Lee, we're talking about American hegemony, and the PGA Tour has effectively subsumed what was the European Tour. It's now the DP World Tour. But one of the ways that we can really stick it to the Americans is the Ryder Cup. Every couple of years, <laughs> Europe, and you have been an absolute uh, a major torchbearer in sticking it to the Americans, and God bless you, sir, for doing so. Um, but Clearly, um, with ranking points, etc., it is not clear necessarily right now what's going to happen. Not the Ryder Cup will happen. Clearly, do you feel that that's going to suffer, or do you see there's a resolution that that can work out? Because for someone, as you well know, because you've played golf with me, I'm the worst golfer ever to have played um, at any form, at any level, on in professional golf, men or women. This is and, true. And and both the LPGA, PGA Tour, and European Tour players would all completely agree with that. Um, but the Ryder Cup, I would agree. yeah, <laughs> the Ryder Cup is something that non-golf fans can get right behind. It's an absolute sh- showcase for the, for the sport. Does that worry you as someone who is sort of along with Poulter and and, and Sergio? You know, you are absolutely your, your Ryder Cup. You're blue, cut you in half. You're blue in the middle for the, for those few days. What happens to Ryder Cup? I think it just carries on. I'm not worried about it at all. Um, you know, with the the point structure in place it's three players off the world points list three players off the European tour well the DP world tour points list um, you're going to get John Rahm Roy McIlroy Victor Hovland Shane Lowry Tommy Fleetwood Matt Fitzpatrick uh, I probably missed somebody out they're, they're, I think that was six or seven players they're going to take up the spots of automatic qualifiers and then Luke's going to have six picks from Everybody else, if they turn around and say he's allowed to pick live players, then 
he can. But the ball's really in their court for that, isn't it? So uh, um, Europe will still have the strongest uh, possible side that they can have. If they don't, it's because they've chosen not to not to pick the best players. That's, that's fascinating, Lee. Lee you, you, it's sli- you actually play. slightly different. Sl- slightly different for the US t- team. The US team could be weakened because Dustin Johnson. They've already said that if if you're not a PGA Tour member, you can't play on the US Ryder Cup team, um, and so that that discounts Dustin Johnson. Um, Bryson was on the last team. Um, I'm sure I'm missing people out. Kepka. Patrick Kepka. So their team, their team could be weakened. Um, yes, they've 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 got a wealth of, uh, of talent. Um, you know, they they are very strong in depth. But you know, it, it might not be the the strongest team they could, in theory, put out. Whereas I think ours ours probably still will be. Lee, um, I'm going to ask the sponsor question now. We've talked a lot about sponsors or sponsors of Sports Digital. The question here is this: you you very rightly, in my opinion, said it's all about entertainment, isn't it? Um, in all these years that you've been around the Keith Pellys and the the tours and all the, the the people that inhabit that world, did they ever say at one point, uh, you know that the average age of the golf fan is now getting to pension age and we seriously need to do something about that? I think you guys are starting to do that, but did the PGA ever internally quietly say, what are we going to do about this, guys? Well, we know that the, the average age of golf fans watchers is 65 don't we so we've got to bring that I'm down young. now <laughs> <I'm Yes. young. laughs> yeah. a, young, a young traditionalist <laughs> you'd actually be a junior member at Sunningdale Liv have done studies where it, it is a lot younger uh, uh, age range watching the live stuff I think it's down around the 45 um age range um so really the question is you know are we doing enough to promote junior golf no i'm not my theme is my theme is this one all these governing bodies who have been whinging and got on whatever moral crusade suits them for the moment in my opinion they've all had it coming every single one of them They've all had it coming. I can talk about rugby. I can talk about, you know, what's happening in football with the Super Leagues and everything like that. They have not seen what is the fact that um, there's new audiences. They've got different needs. They've, they, they're new forms of content, new formats. They want it delivered in a different way. Uh, they want um, easy, more accessibility rather than the sunning deals of this world. And that's been my frustration. I used to be one of these guys and, it, and I just couldn't understand how comfortable all these guys got in their very big salary job with their gold credit cards and everything was all right jack and i'm just asking you i guess did you ever hear them before live did you ever hear them saying what is our strategy to get gen z or anything like that no never i don't know whether they were 65 yeah well, they're the ones that spend all the money, aren't they? 
The is guy that why? Is that why you're spending so much time in the gym, Westy, trying to appeal to a younger demographic? <laughs> fortunately, fortunately, I don't have to take my clothes off, Carlo. <laughs> yeah, what's that? No, what's I... that girl's name? Paige. She's got a great following. What's her name? Paige something. Spirit. Spirit. Yeah. Spirit. Spirit. Uh, there you go. Answers, it? You. You know. I know. Um, I'm not that traditional. No, I tell you what. I tell you why I go in the gym, Giles. I go in the gym because uh, I want to carry on playing high quality golf. I've, I've, I've trained. I've got a training history of about 18 years where I've been working out and doing stuff like that. Now I'm not the thinnest, but I'm strong and I'm flexible, um, and I want to maintain that because I feel like I, you know, what I love playing good golf and I love testing myself all the time. To do that, I have to be strong and fit. So that's why I keep going in the gym. Well, you keep posting because it, it gives me a frisson every single day. Good and, for you. Uh, and, Good for you, Lee. Uh, and just a quick one. I, I've, I've always meant to ask you this. is um, you, you had uh, the, uh, Billy Foster on your bag for a long time, one of the greatest characters um, in golf, one of the greatest blokes um, and a legend greatest of the game. Greatest caddies. Jane, greatest caddies and one of the greatest, most entertaining people you could ever know. Um, on or off the, off the course. You also have, have um, Helen, your wife, on, on the bag. And I believe your son, Sam, um, has has caddied for you as well. Who's your favourite caddy, Lee? Helen. <laughs> Good lad. Attaboy. You know Keep your answer short. Keep your answer short. They all have their different qualities. Very good. Very good. <laughs> Well, listen, Lee, I, I, it's just been joyous. You, you are and always have been since I've known you very, very honest and straight. And I think if more sportsmen and women, particularly in these political times where things are changing, money is talking in, in all sorts of sports, the status quo is being rocked. And I think as you did when you joined Live, you were very honest and open um, to the public about your reasons for joining, which I think gets you a lot of respect. I think there's a lot of sports people who try and sort of fog it up with a little bit of PR um, sort of embellishment that makes no sense. So you you remain one of the great guys of golf and I wish you all the best um, for your season with Liv next year. And let's hope that uh, whatever sanctions or not sanctions are made, we can see you on the world stage because you have, for the golf fan amongst us, and the Ryder Cup, because I think for the golf fans amongst us, you light up fairways and just one of the good blokes. So thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thanks for having me on. I enjoyed it. Yeah, Lee, thanks a lot. I really, really appreciate this. It's, um, you know, we, we read all the coverage, but we don't get a chance to actually talk to you guys directly. So this has been a fantastic opportunity. And, um, you know, uh, apologies for the for the thumping by Fulham. Hopefully we'll get the double over you this year, And but you both stay up. <laughs> yeah, so I'll take 17th. Yeah, right. Yeah, as, as would we at the start of the season. Thanks again, Lee. <laughs> Thank Thanks, you. Lee. That was great. That, well, honestly, that was really, really good. I have to say, um, you know, it, it's, uh, I've always been a huge Western fan. As I said, it, it disappointed me enormously when this whole thing happened. Um, Rog, you and I have gone backwards and forwards with this. Um, for me, it was fantastic to hear him talk about it from his side. And, you know, I, I, I'll be honest, I, I didn't, it didn't feel like a list of talking points to me, which is which I really appreciate, right? That was that was him. That's how he feels, and and that was him. There was an awful lot of of good common sense in what he said. You know, I mean, it's 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 going to be fascinating to see how this plays out. Um, I think we've the one place you and I have agreed, Rogers. We've gone backwards and forwards on live golf. 
is change is coming. We don't know what that change is ultimately going to look like, but it's coming. And oh, it's you know, too people- late, Grant. It's too late. It's not coming. It's too late. The, the, no, no. European but you know what I mean. Dead. To, to, to European change- tour's dead. Well, look, we'll see. We'll see. And, and you no, may well be right, You, heard, you, you heard, may you well heard be them right. say it there. You heard them say it there. They they got they woke up five six years too late. Somebody came, stole their lunch, and then they went whinging away with it like a lot of like 13-year-old schoolgirls uh, with whatever excuse they need. It's only themselves to blame. And it's over now. It's too late. It's too late. They're, they're done. European tour's done. Well, we'll see. Giles, what do you think about that? I'm not sure I agree with Rog, but what do you think? Um, I don't think I'd go quite that strongly, but I'm not as I'm not as brave as Rog. Um, that's why I'm wearing the dinner jacket tonight to go and sort of use my malevolent tones to try and schmooze somebody. Um, but I do think that the what has certainly happened, and this has been happening for a while, is that the PGA Tour, the the, the American Tour, has land grabbed forever um, that side of the coin, and it's going to be very difficult to get it back. And what was the real strength of golf for, for so long um, was that the European Tour, while it's never as big as the PGA Tour, or hasn't been for the last 40 years, always managed to just keep a little bit of balance um, to, was much more international, much more international focused. In the days of Tim Fincham, he was really not very interested in going much outside the longitude of the Americas, um, which allowed the European Tour to become the international tour. And what price... Um, the European Tour, had they rebranded as they were thinking about in 2005, 2006 to become the World Tour or the International Tour because the Americans didn't want that, it would have probably saved their bacon because they would have built a brand, a narrative of the internationalism of the sport that would have preserved and protected them from the PGA Tour, which was very much the red, white and blue of the Stars and Stripes. That ship has now sailed and you will see a a different looking tour. My sadness, as I said before, is that one of the things the European tour did so well for so long was did genuinely try and take the game into other markets, China being the one that I was very involved with. Um, Whether that's controversial or not doesn't matter. China was um, given some of the greatest golfers for 15, 20 years playing in Shanghai. And that has gone now. And I'm sure it'll come back in some form in the future. Never say um, never. But what is so ironic about the game of golf for me is that they had the most fantastic COVID, or if that's possible, if you know what I mean. The game really came together. There was a lot of kumbaya. The tours were talking. But beneath that kind of exterior of bonhomie, as Roger keeps saying, they they were missing a trick. They were not looking at the, not even the enemy at the gates, the opportunity at the gates, which was young people and trying to evolve the game. And they thought it was enough just to keep going and to preserve rather than to um, look forward. And I think now we're seeing a a time where we've got real disruption, a real disruptor in live. They've got seemingly bottomless pockets. And I think they will improve their product. I think they have to. And then it'll be up to us, the fans, to decide with our remote control buttons whether we want to follow it or not. Yeah, that's a good point. And it's nicely summed up, I have to say. Um, you know, I, I I leave this conversation conflicted, to be honest with you. Um, you know, I've wrote my, my views on this that, whole Grant. thing. My views on this whole thing have been clear from day one, Roger, and I've, and I've really enjoyed the back and forth that you and I have had over this. And, you know, throwing Lee into the mix, um, you know, I, I, 
I don't know that I agree, but I have to think about it all because I can, you know, he's made some very good points. Well, but, um, but let me, let me, let, let me ask you, Grant, uh, less strident than before. I mean, he, and the, point, the main point he's making is that many of the European tour events will be stripped of the big names. And we know that sport is going into a Hollywood type mentality now. I, I uh, on a couple of weekends over 2022, I've found myself mainly zapping, uh, finding myself on the DP Tour uh, channel. I think it's Sky here, maybe not Eurosport, I can't remember. And that in itself is telling. Um, and I, I watch and the leaderboard comes up and I'm struggling to find one name. Okay, I'm not a huge golf fan, but I know enough about sport. One name that I recognise the, the European tour, from what I can see now, is the equivalent of Division One EFL football. It's just not sexy enough. And and he said that on here. And, you know, we can argue about who's to blame, who, who was loyal, who was disloyal. Didn't you have a feeling that you were betrayed? Oh, it doesn't matter. The fact is now the European tour, we are where we are. You want to solve a problem, you've got to solve it from where you are, not where you think you should be starting. Fact is, they have got a very, very commodity sports entertainment content product now, and it's only going to get worse. So, you know, I, I can't see any other way out of that. They've, they're have they down at that level in the grand scheme of sports uh, per, uh, properties in a world where we're going into a recession and where broadcasters are going to pick and choose which ones they can afford because budgets are going to be tighter and they're going to say, as will sponsors, PGA Tour in, in, the, in Europe, nah, I just don't need that. It's not moving the needle on my subs or my advertisers one iota. Well, it's, um, again, and I think that's my point, Roger, about why it leaves me with things I need to think about, and that's the way Lee talked about the problems facing the European tour um, and and the way this is going to work and the way that, the, you know, those names are going to be stripped from the thing. I I, I get it, right? I mean, I, I don't know the conversations that have been had. Um, and, you know, maybe maybe we, we get fortunate and we get Keith Pelly to come on and talk about it because it would be fascinating to, to hear that conversation, right, and, and understand the way the, the tour is looking at it because I now understand the way... Uh, Westie and and the live players are looking at it in terms of what they're leaving behind and the challenges what they're leaving behind faces. It'd be I'd be curious to hear what the answer to that is because obviously, Rod, you know when when Lee puts it like that and you give that little soliloquy there, you kind of sit there and go, "Geez, they're right. This is this is a no win situation." But you also know that somewhere the European Tour has their idea of response to it. Now it may not work, and you may look at it and go, "Well, that doesn't make any sense at all. You, you, you're dead before you start." But you know they are sitting there brainstorming ideas to combat this. And I'd be curious to hear what that sounds like, frankly. Well, I think it'll be good. And next week we have uh, the BBC golf correspondent, Ian Carter, joining us on the show. And I think Ian would probably be more in the traditional camp with you, Grant, from where you were at the beginning of this show. His job, obviously, is the voice of the BBC and, and golf. He will be very researched on all elements of the game. I think it'll be fascinating to hear his views on what Lee has said today and, and presumably through other press conferences and see if we can make any sense of this as we go into Christmas and the start of a, a, a new golfing year. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I, and I think on that point, Giles, kudos to you because um, 
I don't listen to all of them, but I've listened to enough of these things. That's the clearest debate on live I've ever heard from the real protagonists. I know I'm biased, it's our show, but... Um, I think that's my point, certain... I think that's my point. Yeah. I think that's exactly my point, right? That, that Lee made, made the case there better than I've heard the case made. And that's why it's nice to actually have these conversations yourself instead of rely on answers to media questions that you know are pointed and they're looking for certain answers and they steer people towards an answer they know is going to make the headline that's going to get clicks. So it's nice to have a chance to hear Lee put that case to me. And, and as I said, it's left me with plenty to think about. So, you know, the more size to this we can get, I think the better it's going to be for everybody to try and figure out how this thing's going to go. But look, Lee, Lee has made a, a phenomenally compelling case. And, you know, I, I, um, I, I've, I've been a fan of his his entire career and, you know, I, I wish him well no matter what he does. And as this, you know, as an old traditionalist, it's, this is tough for me. But that, as you said, that's the clearest I've heard the case um, laid out and, it, and it, it's, it definitely gives you food for thought. Well, gents, look, that's it for another week. Um, our thanks to our guest, Lee Westwood, um, who was phenomenal. Anyone that wants to follow him, if you can't find Lee Westwood, I don't know what you're doing. You've got no idea how to use social media, frankly. Um, <laughs> us is a slightly different kettle of fish. <laughs> you probably need pointing towards us. You can follow this podcast. You'll find us at Entertained R. That's the word A-R-E. You can find me, uh, the old traditionalist, at T-T-M-Y-G-H. And you can find me, Giles Morgan, at GilesMorgan71. And you can find me at RPM Como, as in the lake. As in the lake. Gentlemen, until next time.